And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We are here live from the bunker. It is single digits outside. It's cold. It's cold in them there hills. And there is a possibility that we could lose our power. So if that happens, we have a contingency plan. Welcome, everyone. The comments are open. The live chat is open. The email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. And we're on all the socials. Uh, and we do encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. The link is in our show notes as well as over on uh, the website, sci-fi4me.com. Uh, YouTube, apparently we have, uh, we have uh, uh, offended the wrong people. We've lost apparently 10 subscribers in the last couple of days. I don't know if that has anything to do with our talk about Gina Carano. The trolls have come out on that one. Uh, a follow-up on last week's interview with uh, Tony Weisskopf over at Band Books. Uh, Larry Correa this morning writing that apparently Band's Bar, which is their uh, user forum, uh, has been shut down right now. Tony taking it offline uh, in order to prevent uh, what appears to be a DDoS attack. So there is that fun going on. If you are new to the program, we do want you to consider subscribing. And if you are into podcasts as opposed to video, we're on all the podcast players, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Double Twitch, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Pocket Casts. And uh, like I said, we've got uh, possible power issues here. Maybe we're keeping an eye on the map. If we completely shut down and go away, we do have a contingency plan. Like I say around here, always have plan B, be ready to implement plan C. Uh, we are broadcasting to both YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. And with all of that, now I actually get to get into our program and bring in our guest. Let me turn that down there. Gary Benger is here with us this morning. Uh, well, this afternoon now. How are you, sir? Well, I'm doing okay, Jason, except that I'm just recovering from a bee sting on Sunday. Um, I'm, a, I'm an amateur beekeeper, and I've got uh, half a dozen hives, uh, colonies up in Napa. And, uh, and uh, well, you know, th- we're getting into spring here, as opposed to where you're at, where it's cold. Uh, we actually have the mustards blooming in the vineyards, and the bees are flying, and you have to do some things to help them prepare for the spring. So there, I was working the bees, and... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's uh, feeding them protein um, powders and then uh, moving the boxes around so that they have place to put the brood in. Anyway, I'm out there working the bees and uh, and uh, they get a little aggressive sometimes and defensive. And I'm wearing a full bee suit and where the 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 uh, zipper came together right in the front. One of those little bees squeezed through, oh and my. next thing I know, I've got a bee inside the um, inside the suit <laughs> in my face. Oh no! <laughs> did Did you know that bears and bees co-evolved? So you know, bears really do like honey, like uh, you know, Pooh Bear, right? right? They really do like honey, right. and they've got all that fur, and so the 
so the bees have to fight them. So guess what the bees naturally do? Where do they go to attack a bear? They go for bear, uh, bear skin or... Bear eyes. Bear eye. Oh. And so, you know, the, the bee is going right for my eye. And sorry, uh, she nicked me in the corner near my nose. Oh, <laughs> anyway, uh. <laughs> here I am on a, on a video podcast with you, a little swelling. But, but, but it reminds me of, you know, bees are social creatures, right? And, yes. uh, and we're social creatures. And, and, and bees have hierarchies. And, and that's actually sort of one of the sub-themes in my book, Unfettered Journey, about social hierarchy and 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 social justice as we look to the near future. Now, those those words, uh, depending on what group you're standing in front of, whether it's online or in person, those words can evoke certain reactions. So let's let's back up for a minute and talk about what the actual what the book is about. This is your debut book, I understand. That's right. It is called Unfettered Journey. It's out now. It came out in September. And you, this is, this is a new thing for you. You've been in uh, technology. You've, you've been, you've put in time over at eBay. You're into philosophy, Silicon Valley, all of these different things, astrophysics. What drove you to write this book? This is, this is a, a passion project or, or something in your experience said, hey, I need to write about this. Well, it's it's both of those. So it is a passion project. I I spent uh, almost thirty years in high tech in Silicon Valley, and I had the opportunity to be involved in most of the key technologies. You know, half a dozen years in life sciences. Um, I spent time in the electronic design, automation, chip design industry. I did high tech windmills. I did computer peripherals. I did streaming video over the internet. I was uh, chief financial officer for a company. Be extreme that actually created this technology we're using today uh, to compress compress video, uh, and we sold that to Microsoft. That became Media Player, and then I um, then I was chief financial officer at eBay and took them public way back when. And you know we we grew the company from tiny to thousands of people and a hundred billion dollars worth of stuff being sold before I left and, uh, you know, created a million jobs of people working out of their own living rooms. And I was very proud of that. And, uh, so then I, then I, uh, retired from that went to passion projects. I went back to school and backfilled a astrophysics degree. Um, then I kind of wandered into philosophy. I backfilled a philosophy undergraduate. I got a, I got a master's degree in philosophy, focusing on philosophy of mind thinking about you know what is the mind um you know what is that i jason what's that i at the middle of jason you know what is that (laughs) thing and uh and so i put that interest in the mind and and in consciousness together with a futuristic um setting that's how the book evolved so so uh, Unfettered Journey takes place in the year 2161, near future, 140 years from now. Um, and uh, it's a hard science, sort of a cross-genre book that's an action-adventure. It's a love story. It's a philosophical quest for meaning in our lives. So, so the, the discussion about um, the technology side of things, you know, you talk about... Um, meaning in life and consciousness and and 
there's a lot of discussion back and forth about artificial intelligence. What can it learn? It's it's starting to pass the Turing test. You know, you hear all of these things. And of course, there's, you know, shadows of Skynet hovering around. And, you know, I, I have said for a number of years now that as soon as Google buys Facebook, that's when Skynet launches because <laughs> Google will read all of our Facebook posts and just decide that's that's the end of it. Um the the core of this you say here it's a it's a story of this this AI scientist who seeks to create true robot consciousness. Now when I'm and I'm seeing that and you've got all of these stories in the past things like Blade Runner and in, you know Star Trek: The Next Generation you have all of these android you know the question of sentience comes up and uh, it always kind of hovers but doesn't really quite get to that core question of the soul and when you're talking about consciousness you're talking about sentience it always kind of bugs me that science fiction sort of takes for granted that the soul is something that can either be captured or replicated do, do, do you touch on any of that? Is that a is that a third rail for you, or is that in in this as well? Because giving AI consciousness for a lot of people that's a scary thought. But Jason, okay, you're going to a place where which is central to this book. It, it's not a third <laughs> rail. I go right onto that. That's that's sort of the meta meta theme of everything. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, let, let's get there in steps though, because. Because I, 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 this is, you know, some, some famous person says life is like a, an onion. You know, it has layers. That's right. the book, right? Uh, maybe, maybe some of the um, listeners can remember who said that famous statement, right? <laughs> but so it's got layers. Um, so let's start with the science and then let's go deeper. Um, okay. So, so um, starting with the science, I'm, I spent my, my career in technology. I'm, I have wrote the hard science book, Okay. Um, you know, so much of science fiction and fantasy, I think, um, you know, it's fun to escape. That's what this sci-fi is all about. But I think maybe it does not a good job of helping us imagine the real likely scenarios. And so what I've done is taken a very much a hard science review. So with that, I firmly believe that in this next century, there'll be two technologies that drive differences in human existence. One is um, bioscience, mm -hmm. and the second is AI and robotics. And I'm going to set aside the first one for a while because I don't address that. I, I think that the, the technology that will be most in our face that feels like it's changing our life the, the most will be the AI robotics. And, but I have a very counter view than a lot of what you just mentioned. You know, uh, um, I think that the evolution of robots is going to be more like the evolution of the automobile. You know, it, yeah, sure, Henry Ford invented 1910, Model T. But realistically, it took a century for the automobile to get to what it is now, right? Because you had to do the starters, you had to do the windshield wipers, the electronic systems, you know, all that stuff. You need to build the roads. Um, you need to build the legal infrastructure to deal with injuries. And so... All of that took a long time. And so I think, um, you know, this idea that we're going to have robots running around in the next five, 10 years is actually wrong. And yeah. okay, but having said that, 
you know, and, 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 and we get excited by the, you know, the Boston dynamics, um, robo dogs and all that sort of thing. Sure. And, but, and then you're right that, uh, Hollywood tends to do, you know, Terminator, Skynet, and um, and we hear these uh, thoughts that the next thing you know we're going to have the um, the super um, intelligent robots, and they're suddenly going to take over in you know a few nanoseconds. Um, again, I don't think that's true. I, what I think is it's going to take a while, but we can all see that it will happen, right? Because the economics will make it. Uh, will drive it. So the robots will get better and better and better. So that's what I think the reality is. And, and what does that mean for society? And that's the key, key yeah. thing. So uh, about two years ago, I attended uh, a workshop at the Santa Fe Institute called AI and the Barrier uh, to Meaning. And, you know, a lot of the experts are down there, Rodney Brooks, you know, who invented the Roomba, um, a lot of the leading AI scientists for the last 40 years. Um, and one... One uh, gentleman presented a paper talking about jobs, and he described it as sort of a, a topology, a landscape with hills and mountains. And, he, and the analogy was that the water level is rising, and the water level rising uh, are jobs disappearing. Okay, And so you know, the question was, what's in the valleys, what disappears first, and what's at the top of the hills? Uh, well, you know, Jason, top of the hill may be something like your job, right? It's very hard to automate that. <laughs> okay, uh, For now, uh, at least, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I also argue that one of the jobs at the top of the hills is roofer, right? You know, the guy that has to climb up on the roof with a bunch of shingles and tack them in place. I mean, that's really hard to do. It, it, just, it takes us a million years to evolve the human anatomy to be able to do this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's going to take a while, but we can imagine that the robots are going to get better and better. Um, it's, I think it's highly likely they're going to be about our size because we've got trillions of dollars of infrastructure that's engineered for humans. Sure. And it makes sense to fit them into that. So, so and then think what happens to the society um, as robots actually can walk around us. When they do that, when they do that roofer job, it's kind of all over on jobs, right? I mean, we'll have creative jobs, we'll have other kinds of jobs. But once they can do all those jobs, that's when jobs really go away. Okay? Yeah. So, and we can see that's inevitable. I think we can, you know, really see at some period, I, I say 140 years, but, you know, at some point, it's going to go away. So then we think what happens when robots are mining the ores, they're smelting the steel, they're building the factories. And when they're building the factories that build the robots, think what that does to our fundamental economics that's existed since civilization began. You know, our civilization is based upon labor output, right? I mean, we right. measure it in terms of, you know, labor productivity. How much, on average, does the average person produce? That, produ that kind of gives you the formula how much stuff on average everyone has. Right. And if... You know, and if it was divided reasonably equity, that would be great. But, you know, so there's another issue there. And that applies but, both on the industrial side and the agricultural side in terms of what kind of output you, you have. Exactly. But now imagine that robots make robots. Once that happens, for the first time in human civilization, our labor hours are disconnected by the stuff that's output. Okay. 
And so if uh, I'm, you know, I'm a finance guy and I just run the models for uh, world GDP and U.S. GDP forward 140 years. And it turns out that even without that robots, if we just take the normal rate of growth we've had over the last century or so, yeah. um, uh, we have 10 to 20 times as much stuff in the world per person than we have today. Okay. That's a lot of stuff. And that's without the robots making robots. So. So I think if you just, again, if you take a hard science view, what it says is something very different than what we have today. We have lots of robots. I mean, Jason, you'll have 20 robots doing whatever you want, right. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and we'll have lots of stuff, but we won't have any jobs, right? So, so there's, a, there's a couple of big questions that come out of that. One is, who owns the robot factories? Mm -hmm. And what do we do with our time? When, you know, and how do we find purpose in that world, which I suggest is going to happen. It's very easy to imagine that that will happen and that will be a driving trend that will happen that we can see now clearly. And we have to figure out how do we get from where we are now, where we, you know, where we can see it coming to that end point where um, we'll have no jobs, but lots of stuff. So well, that's you, our fundamental challenge. Do you foresee a point where somebody like yourself or somebody maybe in a in a government position or or a corporate uh, a corporate position sits there and goes, um, excuse me, hang on, we need to put the brakes on this. Are there is this is do you anticipate that this is just going to run unchecked then? I mean, I would I would imagine there would be certain safeties in place to prevent you know, the collapse of the economy, because if nobody's got jobs, what are we doing? And, you know, you look at something like a Star Trek, for example, and, you know, the, the, there, there is, you know, we've, we've moved beyond the needs for money and, and personal mm -hmm. wealth and all of that. And personally, I've never bought into the notion that humanity will ever get to that point because of human nature. It is, it is in our nature to, aspire to do more aspire to do that next thing what's the next hill we're going to climb you know the next achievement and if we don't have any kind of an incentive to achieve mankind will atrophy and then what what's in our future for that is, is okay. that is that a concern for you uh, well in fact jason i'm on exactly your page in terms of the, the competitive nature of humanity, right? It's, right? it's in our it's in our genes to compete, <laughs> and that it's hard to imagine that changes uh, that that you know that's going to go away, a la the you know the kumbaya kind of uh, Star Trek version. Uh, but I, I, the point is, how do we get from where we are now until how we get to there? So in my book, I have a sort of a conceit. I mentioned there's a social hierarchy issue. So the conceit is in 140 years, what has happened is as this transition with the robots has occurred is that, um, you know, around the world, lots of societies have figured out more egalitarian ways to work their, their economies and their social order in the United States, because we are so uh, focused on property rights. Uh, the, the oligarchs who, you know, ultimately own the robot factories um, have an issue that's different. And so, Ultimately, the robot factories get nationalized and everyone owns them. But in the United States, the quid pro quo for that nationalization is we introduce something called the Levels Acts, a series of laws that set levels from one at the top, 
to 99 at the bottom. And, uh, you know, you, you have a level. And supposedly it's, uh, there's a meritocracy and, you know, you can move up and down levels based upon your own merit. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the levels um, dictate certain restrictions on what can and can't do, what jobs you can get. Um, you know, anyone in uh, level 76 and below can't vote. Um, you can only um, marry someone within 20 levels of your own level, et cetera. So, so, but then there's a suspicion that, that maybe the levels aren't quite as meritocratic as some people, folk, folks say they are. Well, and, right. and what you're saying right now sounds very much like what's going on in China at the moment now, currently, with you know your social media status factoring in on uh, deciding what kind of privileges you're going to get, and and we're seeing yes. some of that, tr- you know, some some of that is trying to take hold here in the United States. There are people who would love to have that implemented, and you know that that goes into the whole. Uh, you know, conversation about cancel culture and whether or not you're worthy of attention and and do you need to be unpersoned and deplatformed because you have wrong thing. I mean, it's very much a 1984 type of scenario where uh, you it's not a it's not a meritocracy based on skill. It's a meritocracy based on artificially generated reputation. And I don't think I don't think we're 140 years away from that. I think we're in that now. Oh, I, I, well, I agree with you. In fact, um, you know, I, I had this concept well before Black Lives Matter and, and the George Floyd um, horrible uh, uh, murder last year. And, but I'll ask you, do we have levels today? Do we? <laughs> I would think in, in, certain, in certain ways of looking at it, you probably could make the argument that we do. Uh, but I don't know that they're, they're so much socially driven as they are uh, economically and educationally driven. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's so 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 that's the that's the, I mentioned uh, I mentioned the bees to start off here in social hierarchy, and there is a strong social justice theme throughout my book Unfettered Journey. Um, as as you as you started off to say, it's about an AI scientist Joe, who seeks to to create true robot consciousness, and he goes off on his quest, and in that process, he meets a mysterious woman who's on her own personal mission of social justice. And so that conflict uh, created by that runs throughout the, the book. And, and uh, it's an important story tying, you know, social um, to the future, because I think I, I mentioned my, my, my thesis about how I think the, the hard science view of the future, how it will evolve. Um, but I agree with one thing that you said, Jason, is that in our natures, we're competitive. And it's hard to imagine that that competition will go away. And so how does that, how does that affect us when, you know, one of the things we compete about is, you know, money and stuff. Um, right. When that's no longer relevant. And, you know, how, do, how, how, does, that, how does that evolve? So. It, it almost feels like... Um the questions are there, uh, you know, you're, you're putting those questions out there and you seem to have maybe arrived at your own conclusions. How much of that is in the book? How much do you leave open for people to come to their own, you know, draw their own conclusions based on what's in the book as opposed to what you want to tell people to, to 
Well, that's 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 a good question. So, um, so as I as I started off to say, I think the two technologies that will drive um, this next century are those AI ro and robotics and and um, and bioscience and and I think we have to deal with those and and the effect, as I said, of those will be at the other side. We'll have lots of stuff and we'll have robots. Mm -hmm. And and then what's that like? And so since we'll have a lot of stuff. I firmly believe that, you know, and we'll have a lot of stuff per person if the if the demographics continue the way they're going. We don't have crazy population, which doesn't seem to be true. We have, you know, uh, fewer uh, children per couples, etc., around the world. So, so we're going to have more stuff, and I mean, that's that's sort of suggests that there will be some sort of more of a utopian world possible, a la you know Star Trek, right? Um, that People won't be competing over that stuff. But how do we get there, right? And that's the real challenge for us to maneuver through lots of ways that could, could, could go wrong. <laughs> right, because the jobs the, go away. Yeah, because on the flip side of that, you've got the scenario that's presented in WALL-E, for example, where humanity has left the planet and they're living a, a life of lazy leisure and not accomplishing anything and not doing anything. And they're sitting fat, dumb, and happy on the spaceship, completely unaware of anything. And yeah. that's a real, for, for me, that's a real concern as far as, you know, if we grow so dependent on AI and robotics that, you know, like you say, the jobs go away, we have no incentive to improve ourselves, you're talking about possibly the beginnings of the decline of civilization as we know it. Some, yeah, uh, I think that's right. Some in the chat, Eastland uh, says, uh, talking about social credit, it works with walking down sidewalks or electronics. People have different levels of prestige, trust, and credibility among their smaller groups they're in. When robots become sentient, they may not share our values. They might not. That might not mean extermination, though. Uh, and Robert... Well, that's... Uh, okay. It, it, yes, yes. No, go, go, go ahead. ahead. We'll get to Robert's Senator comment Robert? here in a second. So AI, so, when it so, becomes so, uh, self-aware and they decide they are our betters, do you yeah, see is that, okay. a, is that a potential that could happen? So, so um, you know, that is one of those uh, tropes, I think, in the movies. And again, I'll go back to Terminator. You know, they're all going to become conscious really fast. Uh, my, my master's was in philosophy and ontology of mind. You know, what is the mind and how does it work? And I spent a lot of time debating with professors this concept of can, well, how could you possibly make a robot conscious? You know, it's ultimately it's just a bunch of ones and zeros down there, right? And so that is a big theme in the book. Um, and I, um, spoiler alert, I will say that I leave the answer at the end open. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can truly know enough now to know whether it's possible to make a robot conscious or not. Uh, what I suspect will happen, though, is, again, my hard science view of this uh, near future, the next century or so, is that before, uh, I'm not worried about robots suddenly, um, you know, creating Skynet and, and taking over and killing us all with nuclear weapons. I think that most of the time they're going to be annoying. OK, 
okay? <laughs> because, because <laughs> you know, they'll be there. I mean, if you look at all, I think Reddit has a, you know, silly robots. There's a, there's a subreddit, right? I mean, and there's like a lot of stupid things they do. It's just going to get worse when they're walking around among us, right? Right. Well, if, know, my, if my experience with Windows 10 is any indicator, I think we're already there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think Mrs. Boss has lost track of counting how many times I complain about this computer. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where you, you know, yes, science fiction likes to give us all of these, you know, whiz bang, you know, techno babble type of scenarios without really, you know, it's a good way of examining the various different implications of what could happen and examining ourselves, you know, from a, from a humanity standpoint, but the actual real life implications of this stuff, I think, sometimes kind of get missed when yeah, you're so, looking at so, the fiction. It's 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 feel good, except when it's not. And and so I tr- tried this other approach, hard science. And in fact, uh, there's a quote from She Single Magazine or Review. The person says that it's a future that feels eerily authentic. Mm. And uh, I, I know some of your audience likes the details, so let me just. Get, delve down into some details i have in my robot uh, world i have two kinds of robots that are typical you know they're on a sort of standard chassis there's the mechas and a mecha is a robot with a triangular um, head and sort of no eyes no face and it doesn't talk to you it's um you know it's three meters tall uh and um it has four legs and they they can be in spider mode or they can be in parallel mode. And, and uh, you know, they're hunched over when they're walking around inside our houses, right? So uh, they're more of an industrial robot. And then the other main kind of robot is called a Pippabot. It's a, it's a, a physical uh, robot that's a little bit shorter than the average human because we don't want them to be intimidating. And they have sort of a cartoon face and they, you know, have expressions and they talk to us. And they communicate commands from us to the mechas that don't talk. And so uh, we have to put up with these sort of annoying um, uh, Pippa bots from time to time that are always, you know, trying to chat us up and talk about the weather, right? So <laughs> we've just got to deal with them. Um, yeah. Oh, and then we have an important thing. There's a, so now, not, again, this is my hard science view. I think this will really happen. Um, so um, it, the, the, it opens with Joe and his, his nest, which is a, neural to external trans system transmitter it basically is a chip that you have inserted mm. you know under your ear and that's connected to um a, a little screen implanted into your cornea right and so and you can use that nest to communicate with the the net and you can have stuff projected onto the little screen in the corner of your eye it's uh, uh it's you know it's um it's sort of uh, google glass 20.0 along with, you know, Siri 5.0. Oh, and you have this thing called, you have this, um, this, um, this AI in your nest that's sort of like Siri 10.0, right? Right. That could talk to you. So you can have your own PIDA, personal uh, intelligent digital assistant. So an actual real voice in your head. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, this is just an AI that gets better and better and better. And, you know, it's just it's sort of like, you know, but again, I think this is a natural extension of what we have now. We carry that phone around in our hands all the time. Right. And, well, you know, Google Glass was um, a silly looking thing. But, right. you know, there's huge reasons why that will be developed. Right. 
But with concerns about how uh, social media is going right now and the and what we're seeing uh, in the behavior of quote unquote big tech, you know the the censorship and the and the monopolization of technology and web services and social media and that sort of thing. Is there a possibility there could be some some level of pushback on how far AI gets developed? I mean, are, are, can can we draw a line and say this far, no farther? Well, I hope so. Um, one of the characters in my book at one point says, um, you know, we, we want to be able to control our privacy. Um, everyone has the right to be forgotten, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> That's a really important question. How do we let these privacy laws and privacy intersect with uh, the ease of using the data to make our lives easier? How do we how do we manage that? That's a really important issue. Well, and the other thing too, there is you talk about uh, the you know, Section two hundred and thirty constantly comes up with you know curating content versus just putting it out there, and. Yes, you know we want to you know certain at a certain level we want to remain anonymous. We want to be able to control our privacy, and yet people keep pointing out, as long as you're on social media, you're the product. You know all of this information with the algorithms and everything. I look up something and suddenly I'm seeing ten ads across twelve social media platforms for this thing, same thing. You know Google reads our email. Facebook looks at all of the stuff that we post. Our is is privacy gone? Do we have an opportunity? Is there a chance to recover some of that and dial back a little bit on some of this? Well, there certainly is, but the window is closing. Um, and, and, and the reason is that whether we have the existing big tech companies or some other replacements, the value of that is so much. And, and here's, my, here's my economic thesis of why that's true. Think about our fundamental, you know, I'm a capitalist, right? <laughs> That's my business career. But think about our fundamental economics. The economics is based upon supply and demand, right? And you go back to uh, Econ 101, you know, when supply equals demand, it all works out, right? So uh, what balances supply and demand? Well, you know, we use money as the thing that sets the prices. So if there aren't enough of in the, the popular widget X, then the price goes up and then they make more of them. So that's how that is. money um, um, uh, facilitates that transfer of information. But, you know, think about it. Amazon has lots of information, right? Tons of information. Right. Not only do they know what is being bought, but they know what people want to buy next, right? Well, and I've um, been I, down at Bentonville at various different workshops with companies learning how to get their products into Walmart. And to look at... All of the under-the-hood, back-end automation and metadata and scanning and GPS and, and all of the different things that are being used, some of it's AI, some of it's machine learning, some of it's, you know, you program the algorithm where, you know, somebody buys a product, then they track their GPS and, oh, hey, you're going to be next to McDonald's, here's a coupon, and, you know, those kind of things. And I'm looking at this stuff. And these people are talking about just how great all of this stuff is, how great it is to integrate all of this, and we can track all these people and look at their behavior. And, and I think, this is scary. You are how right. <laughs> much information is out there that's just open 
to anybody right. to 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 track. Okay, so here's the good and the bad. I'll, I'll say the sort of the good is that if you imagine all that data, you know, when I was at eBay, we said the same thing that not only did we know what people bid would bid for a particular you know Beanie Baby or whatever, but we also knew what they might bid for all the folks that lost, right? So that's information that's not in the current economic system, right? It's supply and demand, the simple thing. So all of this data, oceans of data, suggests that um, it will perfect knowing what true demand is. And if you have all the data, then that could essentially replace our market. So the AIs, that technology could know how to, to make the plants produce the right stuff that we needed, right? And so um, it, it, it can replace the fundamental supply and demand mechanism in global economies today. So is that good? Well, that's much more efficient, right? Um, right. I mean, one thing about capitalism is you get, you got two companies competing, right? And, you know, one makes a better product than the other one, and uh, the one that makes a worse product, it uh, collapses and falls apart. And here in Silicon Valley, what happens is the best people from that company cross the street and they go work for the successful company. <laughs> and so uh, now in that system I just described, think about it. 50% of all the stuff you made has been destroyed. Right. It's w- wasted. But someone says that's far better than communism where, you know, you can't tell what percentage is wasted. <laughs> so at least we have some measure. Well, well, and advertising is the same way. I mean, there's that famous quote of, you know, half, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know what half. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's but, a debate. But now, the, but now the question you asked of how do we maintain privacy? Mm-hmm. So you could imagine some systems where we could Im- uh, maintain individual privacy and yet have the benefit of that collective more anonymized data, right? Right. And th- I mean, I mean, just on the top level, I suggest that would be a uh, a more reasonable and less scary way to go. Because who do wants to have foresee, all of our data? Do you foresee more use of VPNs? I, I mean, I see a lot of discussion about VPNs. There's a lot of a lot of promotions that people need to be behind those things. Um, are are VPNs a way to help mitigate some of that? Do you think, or is that just a uh, stopgap? Well, I mean, I, I use a VPN some of the time, but, you know, when you turn it on, then next thing you know that um, these big tech, they, they want you to do two-factor uh, authentication every two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so they're fighting you like crazy. I went to uh, DEF CON, you know, the Black Hat uh, conference, uh, hacker conference in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. It was research for this. It was kind of sure. fun. Yep. You know, and you actually hang out with real Black Hat hackers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's eye-opening. I mean, as an example... Um, you know, your computer is being fingerprinted. So, you know, what happens is the big tech companies, they are taking a little snapshot of your computer to see what uh, applications you have on there. And even if you've got other protection, they know who you are. Yeah. Isn't that a scary? It I mean, is. That's scary. It is very okay? scary. And, yeah. I mean, so you have to, you know, trash your computer and buy a new one if you want a new fingerprint. Uh, but they'll, <laughs> so there, there's, the, the big tech is fairly... Um, devious, I would say, I'm not overstating it, about how desperately they want to be able to tie all the pieces of data together because it's valuable, right? Now, it, it also it also raises the questions of how much how much the companies that own that data or the companies that have access to the data can manipulate that data and manipulate society using that data. I mean, we've seen the That's questions right. about, you know, with regard to the elections, uh, as an example, or... 
um, marketing a particular movie or trying to get, you know, you look at uh, the social media movement that got the Snyder Cut uh, going on in, in play. So it can be used for good. It can be used for evil. And I think a lot of people are concerned that it'd be used for evil a whole lot more. Uh, there's right. a debate going on in the chat with regard to competition. You mentioned competing for various different things. And in a capitalist society, we're competing for money in, in some cases. Uh, Mazers also points out, uh, not Mazers, I'm sorry, Eastland points out that we're also competing for prestige and power and control. And, and I know that with money comes prestige and power. And I think that with certain political figures out there, it's all about power, not necessarily about the money that comes with it, although that is a side benefit. But this whole aspect of AI and social media possibly being used to manipulate society into these hierarchies. I mean, you talk about the Levels Act. I don't know that it would t that it would we'd get to the point where it would require registration so much or, or legislation. Because we're already kind of halfway there, how do well, we and, how do we stop it? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, you get and you mentioned about fundamental human dynamics. Um, now, I mean, there's a character in my book uh, who she's she's the commander of an uh, of a space station mm -hmm. circling moon the moon that is being built to send uh, probes to find exoplanets, right? Um, by the way, again, a hard science view of the future. Um, you know, we are not going to find faster than light spaceships. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. What? And if you actually, yeah, yeah, I'm I mean, sorry. I'm sorry. Right, you know, 140 years, take, we're going to be, we're, we're going to be barely leaving the <laughs> solar system. It's like, you know, Einstein's equation, it takes a ridiculous amount of energy yeah. to accelerate any mass, you know, the tenth speed of light. So I'm, that's, that's going to be the problem we have as we look forward is that it's not going to be as, is so cool. And, and it's going to be a little bit, it's actually a little bit sad, I think, because, you know, we're still going to be bound to our own solar system here for a while. So, uh, but, but, so I've got this um, commander and she's debating the, you know, what, what motivates us, you know, you know, typically it's money, it's power, it's fame and what is it that causes us to want to do something she's she's running this space station that is you know holding the highest aspirations of mankind to go beyond right so yeah i hope we're still doing that in terms of money uh eastland mentions barter <coughs> we get to a point where jobs are scarce and we're all kind of sitting around twiddling our thumbs and we've already seen because money right now has the value only that we ascribe to it uh, because we're off the gold standard. You know, some people have talked about going to silver as a standard, but nothing, no, there's no movement on any of that. I mean, if we need more money, we just print it. It, it doesn't have any inherent value other than what we decide it's worth. And I, I can see us getting to a point because you talk about, you know, your, your, your book is set after, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic thing, like a lot of other books are, mm -hmm. and there's there's war and there's there's all of these different conflicts. I, are we are we possibly looking at a collapse of the dollar? I mean, you've been in finance. Are, are is the dollar in trouble? Is 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 money 
a limited resource at, and and at some point does it go away and then we just kind of go to a barter system based on our social media credit? Well, you know, okay, so I mean classic economics. You know, you have a certain amount of economic activity. Right. And then you need a certain amount of this stuff called money that helps um, flow the, the translation of goods and service among people. And classically, if the economy grows by 4% and then if the money supply grows by 40%, then money's worth the same. You don't have inflation or deflation. And that's kind of how it should work in, in, on a global basis. If the global economy grows by 3% a year, then the global money supply should grow by that. And if that happens, everything stays in sync. So, you know, whether it goes up and down, those are sort of little errors around the edge. And that's why, the, by the way, that's why I don't think um, Bitcoin on its basis is a good idea because it's fixed in supply, mm-hmm. which means it's going to be a horrible currency to actually facilitate what money's supposed to do, which is to make smooth trade, right? Right. But I do have something called dark credits <laughs> in my book. It's sort of a, it's a way to make sure that the money you have is not accounted for. So you can you can kind of slip under the radar of all this data that's being translated around. So you, they won't catch you on all this stuff. So, yeah. So I'm, I still have that going on in the book. So. so you mentioned going to the Black Hat Conference for research. What other what other homework did you have to do going in to prep for this book? Um. Well, it's, it's a, it's a cross-genre book, wide-ranging. So, for example, one of the questions is, in the future, um, how do we live with our technology, right? I mean, already, you know, you mentioned social media. We're, like, really busy, right? We've got so many things to do, and, you know, there's a buzz in our head from social media, and it's just, you know, it's sort of driving us crazy. What will happen to that? Well, in the book, one part of the book deals with what happens if you were forced to give up all of your technology, you had to go back to the basics. You were put into a world where you had to, you know, grow your own grain, hunt your own food. And how would you survive in that world? And that's a, con- uh, a, 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 a you know, a contrast to the technology of this book. So to, to do that, I had to do a lot of research, everything from sheep husbandry to hunting to, you know, building a roof, um, to all this, uh, you know, uh, native plants and all kinds of things. So there's a, the book is pretty wide ranging and that's one of the topics in the book. And then, and then um, we started with, um, you know, consciousness and what is the I and, and how do we find purpose in that high tech future? And so um, there's much in the book addressing with uh, purpose and what is human consciousness? What is it really? And, you know, um, what is that What is that I that's at the center of each of us? And so, um, you know, those are the ultimate themes of the book. And when you talk about consciousness, uh, just in a general sense, science fiction uh, especially, fantasy sometimes touches on it in... In world building, you know, you're on other planets, you're in other realms or whatnot. So it's not exactly a parallel. But in science fiction, there's generally a lack, a diminished amount, uh, let me say, of uh, religious conversations. You know, mm-hmm. it, Roddenberry was was thinking, you know, Roddenberry, the humanist, he figured, you know, we'd be, we'd be past all of that by the time we get to the to the age of Star Trek. And there are not a lot of 
genre stories that I've run across that really bring religion into the conversation when you're talking about this kind of stuff. You know, you're into robotics, you're into machinery and your AI and social media and, and, and faster than light travel and beaming technology and holographs and all this. But the religious aspects of this sometimes kind of slips through the cracks. Is there any of that philosophical discussion woven into this book? Did you, did you factor that in or is that, no, we're just going to set that aside and not, not touch it. No, no, Jason. Okay, now you put your finger on. <laughs> uh, you put your finger on exactly the heart of the book here, because um, you know uh, the, uh, the main character Joe is you know a scientist, and he believes the data, and that's how he looks at the world, right? And but he is having these conversations with his colleagues there in the book of you know what is this I and what does that tell me. And, and then he asks those questions, you know, um, well, you know, what's the, he, what's the Bayesian probabilities of God, right, in the scheme of things? Yeah. And, and, uh, and then he, uh, he's looking for answers within a scientific framework to ask the question, is there a place in a scientific um, um, view of the world for any spiritual element whatsoever? Okay. And that's key to the book. Uh, in the chat, Robert says, Dune certainly brings religion into sci-fi, but the Bene Gesserit are rational skeptic manipulators of those that believe in religion. And I would say that Dune is kind of an outlier in that, making religion a central theme in the storylines. Um, yeah, Heinlein certainly had a few things in there. And, of course, you look at Stranger in a Strange Land where where Valentine Michael Smith essentially just creates a new whole religion out of whole cloth. Uh, but the, that question of, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the consciousness and the soul and science fiction wanting to quantify that. And, and I guess that's, that's even a, 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 a concern, I guess, when you start looking at transporter technology in Star Trek. You know, are you destroying a person and then creating a copy of the person? And if that's the case, how are you how are you transferring the soul from one person to the to the to the copy? And <laughs> right, you get right, into right. these various philosophical debates that people just really don't want to seem to have in terms of that, because the soul is not something that you can capture. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Uh, well, uh, uh, by, by the way, I do pay a brief homage to uh, to Dune in my book because, of course, this is science fiction. Got to remember the masters. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a good question. And um, let's see. I, I guess I don't want to give too many spoilers away in my book about how that how that works out. But that's clearly um, one of the meta themes in the book. And in fact, the whole book. I'll, I'll, I'll give another. A little hint here, an Easter egg. There's actually an overarching allegory to the entire book. Okay, and so you can read this thing on many levels. And as you start delving down and start to catch these, um, you know, there are lots of jokes hidden in that once you get them. So, um, and there are actually math jokes for mathematicians. There are jokes for AI scientists that are hidden in the book, um, just to. Um, make it more interesting if you can catch all that stuff so uh but yes i i do deal with the issue of how you can be find any spiritual meaning in your life 
you know, as we look forward, right? How do we deal with this? I mean, we're all inundated with the technology. I think people are tense. They're anxious dealing with this world that is, you know, more and more complicated all the time. You know, we do maybe perhaps hope for something that's a little bit simpler, um, you know, a, a romantic pastoral past. Um, and so, but do we really want that? <laughs> so <laughs> my book uh, explores that topic. As I said, I've had to get into, um, you know, what would you do if you had no technology? So right. there's that part of the theme. And ultimately, this gets, I hope, to helping readers think about those own those questions in their own life, um, you know, in their own life, um, how do you find some purpose and how do you find some spiritual center um, in this very complicated modern world as we figure out how we together um, navigate to the future that we wish to have, right? Right. Now, uh, Sci-Fi Snob mentions we will always be religious. The religion will change. Environmentalism, social justice, those are religions. And, and you look at some political theory, ideological theory, uh, it's not just necessarily uh, your perception of God as a religion, uh, or if you want to look at Allah or Buddha or, or any, any of those philosophies, government is, you know, depending on your point of view on the role of government in society, that almost at some point can be approached as if it's a religion. Social just, you know, the social justice cancel culture almost seems to be, you know, because they all have their, they all have their tropes, they all have their tokens and their martyrs and, and their structures and, uh, and rituals and, it, 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 religion almost nowadays could be any any kind of a belief system that takes over for people, you know. And it's it's a question now then, not just you know, not just who is God, but what is your God? Where well, is your priority? Yeah, and um, I I think that um, I, I'm going to simplify it. I'm a hard science view of of this future and it's practical in some sense mm -hmm. uh you know what do we do to help advance humanity right and um i explore the topic of what I'll call a circle of care a circle of concern how many folks do we really care about you know we're, we're, we're there's a tribal element to humanity right right and we tend to uh to identify our tribe first in a very small way our immediate family and but society's gotten more complicated. And, you know, as we uh, expand our circle of care to larger groups, we start to share something more with a larger group of humanity. And if I think that if we think of that as a good thing and try to, um, to um, encourage that, then that moves the whole human uh, experiment forward. Uh, faster and in the right direction. And so how do we do that collectively? How do we advance humanity? That's, you know, we're going to have lots of stuff, okay? And we're going to have maybe fewer jobs. And those can lead to a lot more social conflict or less, right? And uh, we can decide how to, what kind of future we want to build. And I think we 
need to do that um, thinking about an expanded circle of care to all of humanity, because we will have fewer of these pressures um, to, you know, food, shelter, clothing, the basics. We will we'll, we'll be more and more divorced from those. It is, it is sort of a Star Trek future in that way. Um, although we just, I don't think we'll be um, visiting any exoplanets anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, so we're gonna be stuck here on our planet Earth a lot longer than we think. Yeah, well, and, it, even if we can get uh, at least as far as Mars, I guess we'll be making some progress uh, on that front. Uh, or, and, and maybe maybe we can use those robots to mine the asteroid field and, and, uh, and bring in some resources that way. That, that's an unfettered journey. That's right. <laughs> that's already the vision there. So The book is Unfettered Journey. We haven't even really touched on the romance aspects of this, but uh, there's, a, there's you know, a boy meets girl part in this, and, and that factors into it as well. Uh, uh, Gary's website, GaryFBinger.com, we will link to that in the show notes. Uh, you can also find him on Twitter. And uh, that will uh, that will give you various different access to links and such. And uh, at some point in the future, very soon, hopefully, uh, we'll be getting a review out because I do have a copy of the book here. It's over 500 pages. My, this is this is an ambitious <laughs> ab- ambitious debut work here, Gary. It's it, it's yeah. a bargain at that front. <laughs> right. so lots of good reading. So yes. and, and I'll, I'll ask your audience to. You know, stay with me until you get to the what I'll call the footbridge scene, because, again, this is a very uh, complicated story with lots of layers. And I think if you get to that, um, the story will grab you. Well, in reading in reading some of the uh, some of the reviews online, it seems like there are some people who who say that it's a slow burn at the beginning and then it picks up afterwards. So that's that's good to know, maybe going into it and say, okay. This is going to take a little bit to, to get settled in, and then and then here we go. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, and uh, when the next are you, is this a one and done, or is there? You said it, it, it's left open. I'm assuming you're you're already designing a sequel and and thinking about ideas for other stories. Or well, right now I'm actually working on the international launch. So in January I launched uh, my French edition. Um, I have my Italian translation coming up just within this month, and and I have another five um, translations behind that. So. The first half of this year is this international launch. It's, uh, things have been going pretty well. Um, in January, uh, actually, the book hit 10 Amazon bestseller lists. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Amazon, it goes up and down. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that's a very uh, temporary thing. But, uh, you know, it's had good reviews, and uh, I'm very pleased that I, I think it's, it's elicited in the kind of reviews that I'd hoped for, which is that uh, for the thoughtful reader who really wants to think about the future and and this has some i think some powerful characters some powerful women characters in particular um that uh people love a good story so all that's been good and um that's that's what i'm focusing on now so jason thank you so much this has been a pleasure to um you know to share this with your audience yeah thank you i appreciate you coming on here and i'm glad that we got through the entire hour without any kind of a power hiccup or anything (laughs) Uh, the book is available online uh, in in Kindle edition, I imagine, as well as the printed form. And then uh, the best way to find you, do you want people going to your website or your Twitter, or does it matter? 
any of those, uh, any of the above, and it's you know it's uh, it's on audiobook too. It's on Amazon. It's on Ingram Spark. So available any place you get books, uh, Kobo, um, a- Apple Books, Google Books, all that. All right, Gary Benger, thank you very much for being here, sir. Thank and, you very much. Uh, just a programming note tonight: we do have planned. Uh, A new edition of Salacious Crumbs with the latest Star Wars news. Assuming that the power cooperates, we will be on at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. And then coming up a little bit later on in the week, we do have a new Ranker Pit discussion. And right now it's scheduled for Friday, but it might move. We'll see. Uh, And we'll let you know. So keep track of all of the uh, social media uh, for that announcement. And then, of course, on Saturday, we have a brand new Foreign Bodies at 1 p.m. Eastern. And then Saturday morning, of course, we have uh, all the week's headlines on Good Morning Multiverse. And that's going to do it for us here today. Thanks very much for being here. And remember, everyone, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.